Welcome, everybody, to Paranormal Analytical. I'm your host, Eddie Hill, along with my other host, the incredible and dead sexy Rick Warren. <laughs> Welcome. things again. Welcome, Rick. Hello, Eddie. What's up, buddy? Not a whole lot. We would have James Toop on here, but the boy has disappeared. I think it's a paranormal event, Rick. What do you think? A-W-O-L. Yeah, he is. And uh, we don't have we don't have him. We don't have uh, Gordon Park. Uh, we don't have anybody really, just us. So we're going to make do with what we have, I think, and and we're going to continue onward because we really need to get this show going. And everybody, just to let you know, it's going to be UFOs tonight. And Darren Wedlock says, "Hey Eddie, and hey Dead Sexy Rick." <laughs> you You're such a silly wabbit. So yes, we are going to be talking about UFO sightings and how they are becoming extremely popular more and more and the fact that fleets of UFOs are now being seen throughout Texas skies and beyond, but mainly here in Texas. And I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they're wondering about the illegal alien crossings and how we're going to treat them if they get over here. They probably don't want to wear the mask or get the shot either. That's right. That's so, right. That's a possibility. Flying all this way and, you know, that's possible. It really is. Yeah, but because, I mean, we've uh, got... It's a quite the topic. Yeah, I mean, we've got aliens... <coughs> damn, COVID. we got aliens right now trying to cross over the border there in Del Rio. And uh, we got aliens coming in from outer space. And, you know, so I don't know what the Border Patrol is going to do about them. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, I guess Earth is just a happening place to be, and especially the United States of America and good old Texas. Well, you just are are just what you are called the Lone Star State. You uh, are the star of the UFOs right now. Eddie. We are. We and, are. Um, we I'll are the what, shining it's star. Interesting is it's, it's getting interesting as hell as far as what's going on. I agree, and uh, I mean it, it's just more and more of these sightings are taking place as well as you were just talking to me earlier about the UFO abductions. Yes. Yes. These are very intriguing. There, there are reports of people that are actually finally in the recent year or months 
coming forward talking about exactly what happened to him and what transpired. And uh, out of that, Eddie, they are coming up with a classification of UFO sightings, abductions, and what level of classification are you? Mm-hmm. Are you just a general sightseer or are you all the way up to the scale of, you know, abductor or abductee? And um, where do you fall in that well, realm of actually dealing with UFOs and or aliens? They've also classified now, uh, you know, uh, one of the sightings as, uh, I guess, a six of the sixth kind, which yeah. uh, deal yeah. with human uh, death or animal death. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're adding more and more to the, to this classifications of it. So I, I think the more that, uh, we have sightings, the more things that go on, the more, uh, classifications we're going to end up having, because there's going to be a lot of different uh, aspects to this that we're not even aware of at this point in time. Right. I've got a story to tell you, Eddie, about one of the abductions that happened with this woman. And this is what's interesting as hell, Eddie, is that, there are other people and other men and women both that fall under this classification. It's also uh, coming up to almost to a classification of a seven where these people are actually being taken. They're actually being probed. They're actually looking at their physical physicality and the essence of reproduction. There are men and women who have been, well, for lack of words, um, basically experimented with. Yeah. There's this one woman that come back, Eddie, and said she was 28 years old when she left. And it's been almost 30 years since she left and come back and looked the same. Are you serious? That length of time she's been gone? Yes. Yes. They, wow. She's been, they, they experimented with her. They took, um, well, actually what they did was, was look at her as far as being a, well, baby maker, if you want to call it, because they were looking to, for hybrid uh, babies. They were looking for hybrid humans, and they haven't stopped that yet, Eddie. Ba- basically, you're talking, basically, you're talking using her as a breeder. Yes, exactly. Okay. The one woman had come back and said that she, she had seen her. She was not allowed to leave with her, but that she had been there over 30 years since she was 28 years old when they took her, and, and she had... Uh, stories of how this woman was taken and her ovaries, her sexual organs, so to speak, was used as basically a hybrid type of um, breeding area. Some of them lived, some of them died. Some of them are just on classification as far as experimentals. It's kind of like looking at it in a test tube is what they said. Hmm. And this is what is interesting to me because if you don't, if you are afraid to look at these things, as far as being able to say, this is a possibility that is the paranormal Eddie. That's what we're here about. That's what we want to dig into and find out about. I agree. And there's so many stories right now popping up. And I think the reason being Rick is because right now we are at a stage in life. I think where people can actually handle the thought of UFOs being real. They can handle the i guess the significance of us not being alone because for so long everybody was saying well you know we don't want to tell them that ufos exist because we don't think they can handle it we think they're going to freak out or do something stupid 
But now it's getting to the point where, you know, I don't think you can uh, you can get any more weirder than the stuff that's happened already around the globe, uh, you know, with all the stuff that we've been dealing with over the last year and a half or so. But I think, as a matter of fact, I think the fact that, you know, aliens do exist, and I, I thoroughly believe that, I truly believe it, um, I think that gives people a little bit of hope. Because I look at it like this, Rick, if one way or another, I think if they really wanted us gone, we wouldn't be here today and they would have never had to fire a single shot. You know, that's, so. that's, a, that's a good, that's a good look at it, Eddie. That really is. But, you know, let's take a look at this real quick. In 1878, 1878 in Denison, Texas was a sighting of a UFO in 1878. And we had no, nothing that could even resemble anything flying at the time. But it says, thanks to a long-forgotten 19th-century farmer named John Martin, unidentified flying objects were first described as saucers here in Texas. According to the article, a strange phenomenon that appeared in the Denison Daily News on January 25th, 1878, Martin was hunting when he saw a dark object high in the northern sky. The news account states that the popular sh- or peculiar shape uh, and the velocity with which the object seemed to approach riveted his attention, and he strained his eyes to discover its character. When first noticed, it appeared to be about the size of an orange, after which it continued to grow larger, which meant it was getting closer to him. Uh, after gazing at this for some time, the article continues, Mr. Martin became blind from long looking and left a viewing to to rest his eyes so in other words he had to stop looking at it for a moment because his eyes were just you know that was he was done for a little bit on resuming his view the object was almost overhead and had increased considerably in size and appeared to be going through space at a wonderful speed when directly over him it was about half the size of a large saucer and was evidently at great height Although Martin clearly saw a saucer, and that's, by the way, that's where we get the term flying saucer was from Martin. Uh, Idaho pilot Kenneth Arnold is widely and incorrectly credited as the first person to describe an identified flying object as such. So if y'all remember the incident, if you know anything on, on the UFO subject, there was an Idaho pilot by the name of Kenneth Arnold who described these crafts that were going through the sky that he saw while he was in his plane as these flying saucers. But that term had already been taken back in uh, 1878, you know, which was done here in Texas by a, by a sighting by a, this farmer. Uh, so he, Arnold uh, ushered in a post-war wave of UFO hysteria in 1947 when he told a local reporter and in turn, the Associated Press that he had been or he had seen an object in the sky over Washington Cascade Mountains that flew like a saucer would fly if you skipped it across the water. Arnold's account coined the term flying saucer, although the honor rightly belongs to Texan John Martin, who had spotted it one 69 years earlier. How about that? Wow. And you know what, Eddie, it, what intrigues me the most is that we now have not only um, 
there was a point when if you had a policeman be brave enough to bring it to his captain or whoever it might be that he saw something in the night, that was that was really something brave for them to do because your um, your reputation was tarnished, your reputation was at stake. Now we have not only policemen, we have military, we have all kinds of professionals coming forward. We have Navy pilots. We have ships out in the ocean, USS aircraft carriers with the sightings from not only uh, UFOs, but underwater um, exhibits of what they see coming up out of the oceans now. And so as it grows in its popularity, if you will, it also grows in its basically integrity as being something that is not only made up of Hollywood, but it's something that's made up not only from us, but also from them to us because they are becoming real, Eddie. Absolutely. Now, Darren Wedlock says, wow, didn't Christopher Columbus report seeing one too? As a matter of fact, he did. And he did, you know, let's even dive a little bit further. He was one of the first ones to see and report a USO, an unidentified submersible object. Mm -hmm. So he actually, as far as I'm concerned, had two different accounts because he saw one in the water. He saw one as it flew off and they were, they couldn't figure out what this thing was back then, especially back then. And so, I mean, you've got some different accounts that, uh, of these aircraft or spaceships or whatever you want to call them, interdimensional travelers, unidentified flying objects, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, whatever the case may be. You've got so many different accounts, even well before there was any sort of aircraft flown by human beings. So anybody who has a mind narrow enough to say UFOs or aliens or people from other worlds or dimensions or what, whatever the case may be do not exist, they have a very low IQ as far as I'm concerned because mm -hmm. it is a the universe is a vast amount of space, Rick, and it's so big. Like, uh, I don't, did you ever see that movie, uh, Contact? Yes. Remember mm -hmm. when, what her dad told her at the beginning when he says, you know, and she asked him, she goes, are there civilizations or people out there? You know, and her dad looked at her and he says, well, he goes, I'll tell you what sparks. If there's not, it's an awful waste of space. Remember that? Very true. That was with Jodie Foster, wasn't it? Yeah, with Jodie Foster in a great mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, Loved it. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, you have to have a very small mind to think for just an, even an instant that there is no more intelligent life out there other than what we have here on planet Earth. I mean, it's it just, it, 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 there's just no way, mathematically impossible for that to be. That's true. If you look at the number of galaxies... I mean, you cannot even fathom in our mind. I can't. I really can't. And I've tried to sit there and think of how many galaxies there are, even within our universe. And the and those universes go on and on and on and on. Absolutely. At this moment, Eddie, I'd like to go ahead. I'd like to go ahead and invite anybody that is listening to us right now. If you have a UFO encounter, if you have any type of uh, information that we that you could share with us on this show as we talk please get in, into the chat room and give us a give us a uh, holler and, and and we'll listen to you i i find that very intriguing 
Well, let me let me read you a couple of other things here. Um, in 1973, when Palacios Mayor W.C. Jackson invited extraterrestrials to visit Texas, no one has ever made those fellas welcome, he told reporters. His hospitality came almost a century too late, long before anyone had heard of Roswell. Flying saucers were the first spotted in Texas in 1878, according to local legend, and, the, and first touched down here in 1897. In fact, Texas can boast of having some of the most compelling evidence ever uncovered of alien visitors, such as Aurora's crash site, Lubbock's mysterious lights, or Dayton's close encounters. Texas has also bred its share of particular or peculiar UFO devotees, such as Heaven's Gate leader, Marshall Applewhite. I didn't know that. I don't I don't even think we should claim him, but I guess we have to. Uh, who was born in Spur, uh, Texas, and had his first spiritual vision while walking along a Galveston beach, as well as some members of the Republic of Texas who reportedly believe that the Marfa lights are proof of a subterranean energy grid that the Pentagon is trying to tap into with alien technology. MUFON, the world's largest UFO uh, investigation organization, is based in Texas, as is NASA, which oversees an intergalactic radio signal monitoring program called SETI, or the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Now, getting back here to MUFON, In 1883, according to Apache legend, the ghostly flashes of lights that appear in night sky of West Texas are the incarnation of the wandering spirit of Apache Chief Alaste, A-L-A-S-T-E, Alaste, Alaste. Yeah, got me on that one. (laughs) Who has haunted the Sinati Mountains since his execution at the hands of Mexican uh, Ruales or hands of Mexican Ruales in the 1860s. The white settlers first noticed these lights now known as the Marfa mystery lights in 1883 when rancher Robert Ellison was driving his cattle a few miles east of Marfa. He and his companion spotted flickering lights along the horizon and feared that they were Apache campfires. But when they searched the area the next day, they had found no traces of the encampments. Since that time, people have flocked to what is now Route 90, nine miles east of Marfa, to try to spot the lights which have appeared in white, pink, yellow, green, and blue hues to the east of the uh, Chinati Mountains. Sometimes the lights dance erratically, while other times they remain motionless, slowly brightening with intensity. Skeptics believe that the lights are simply car headlights skimmering across the mountains. I've been there, Rick. I've been there. I will tell you a little bit about the headlights in a moment. Um, Skeptics believe that the lights are simply car headlights skimming across the mountains, but that would not explain sightings in the last century or the fact that the lights often move in circles or zigzag formations. Others have argued that the lights are nothing more than ball lightning, reflections, mirages, or swamp gas, or even static electricity. But scientists have not been able to prove that any of this phenomena could have happened in West Texas terrain with such regularity. 
According to local folklore, the lights are believed to be many things. Uh, a lost spirit, the reflections of Spanish gold, the hidden treasure of Pancho Villa, brujas, witches, or who are learning, or maybe witches who are learning to fly, and most recently, UFOs. And I have been to the Marfa Lights there, Rick. I have been to that area, and we have investigated that area. Uh, we, we sat there one time for two nights trying to figure out what those lights were. And yes, people do claim their car lights. And I did see car lights in the horizon far, far back. Okay. And those car lights were there. But they are not what people are seeing. And those car lights, which actually flicker because they're going in between. You see them as they travel and you've got trees in the way. So, of course, you see the headlights flickering as they pass the trees. That is not what they're seeing. The Marfa lights are something totally different. Uh, they're a phenomena that cannot be explained. We took a headlight. I'm not sorry, headlight. I'm looking at this. Uh, Randy says, someone say lights. Lights. Um, Hello, Randy J. Cole. Yep. Um, we, uh, we took a helicopter. A remote control and a big one it had like a like five or six foot blades had a camera attached to it and flew it out into the field where the marfa lights are seen we weren't able to get close enough to these things because they were avoiding the helicopter they were wow. avoiding it they were moving away as the helicopter approached as soon as the helicopter came back they would move back in our direction Helicopter will go that direction. They would move away once again, which means that they were being intelligently controlled somehow in, a, in, in order to avoid detection by that helicopter. Um, what's up, Brandy? Good to see you on here, buddy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are some of the things that, that take place out there within the Marfa lights and no one knows what they are. I know that the government actually tried getting close to them as well. And they were doing their thing and trying to, you know, they were trying to run them down on quad quad runners and four wheelers and you name it. And they couldn't get close. So for whatever mm -hmm. reason, these things aren't afraid to show themselves, but they're not going to let you get close. And you got to remember that is true. And you got to remember that helicopter we had flying could do probably 75, 80 miles an hour. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It, it, we just couldn't, we couldn't get any, uh, get close enough to really get any good video. You were just speaking about government and here's the little article that I found while I was doing a little research on this guy named Lou Elizondo. Uh, he was with the intelligence, um, agency for over 20 years in Afghanistan. He was intelligence with, uh, Guantanamo Bay. He was with intelligence with the, um, Honduras down there with the uh, different things. And he's, his reputation speaks for itself. Very militaristic, very highly sought intelligence officer. He left the intelligence office and um, was asked by none other, the Pentagon, to start looking into this UFO phenomenon. And this is how serious they were, Eddie. One Senate mate majority leader, Harry Reid, asked him personally, to oversee a $22 million program sponsored by Senator Reid. 
in 2010. That's when he took over the the actual uh, program that they are looking at as far as even now today. And that's how that's how important this subject that we're talking about right now has become to the government, to the military. Because don't you think they'd want to know some of the military military uh, excuse me military aspects of what those machines or whatever they are could do, and how they would probably take them and use them? Oh, in a military absolutely. Way, yeah, for sure. You know, and not only that, but I mean, you got to remember the military, I'm sure, has been studying this since well before uh, Roswell. Uh, from what mm-hmm. I understand, well before Roswell, they even had a crash craft even before then that they had been back engineering and trying to duplicate. And as time went on and they were getting smarter about the process of what they were doing and what some of these things were, uh, were made of and how they were manufactured and so forth and so on. I think now they're at the point to where some of these triangles that we're seeing are some of the back-engineered craft, which are basically ours. That's our craft, which which are back-engineered from crashed UFOs. And so some are ours, some are theirs. And uh, so, you know, this is one of those type things where no matter what you see in the sky, you've got to ask yourself if that craft is ours or if it's an alien craft because back engineered crafts that we have are pretty damn similar uh, from what I understand. And and you have some of the TR threes and things of that nature, which are your, some of your triangles. Um, They've actually got pretty good footage that was uh, checked, double checked and triple checked and found to be actual real footage. And there was no, uh, messing with this footage whatsoever and inside that craft you could actually see some beings that were in there uh if you really look through the pixelation and and really try to get up close to the craft as best you can with some of the uh, video zoom capabilities but these beings that were in there you could tell were not exactly human they they were human shaped but of course had the bigger heads you could see that their heads were bigger Mm -hmm. than, than their shoulders and you know so forth and so on so you know, probably looking at maybe some type of alien gray, something to that effect, which was in the craft itself. I mean, it's hard to say, but uh, as cameras get better and cell phones get better with cameras and so forth, you're going to we're going to start getting some really good evidence that cannot be disputed. And right now is the best time. Anytime you're out and about people, don't forget to look up. Always keep your eyes to the sky because there's going to be a time when you're going to capture something. Go ahead, Rick. See this little camera here, Eddie? Can you can you see what I'm? Yeah, lift here? it up right there, right there. Yeah, right there. Okay, people, this is a very inexpensive digital camera. Okay, I use this not only on investigations, but I keep it in the car with me and other cameras too. That you can use your phone camera. You can use video on your camera. You can use video on anything that you have. Collect that data. Collect those pictures. And send them to us. We want to know what you see because we're seeing the same things. And hello, Christian Carter. It's good to see you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And like uh, some of y'all have some of the galaxies and iPhones. Like this iPhone of mine, if you look, this it's got the the three lenses on it. Um, This is the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And... These things take amazing video, amazing, amazing pictures. Um, 
I mean, we everybody now has a camera or a video camera or something at their disposal 24-7 because everybody and their grandmother carries a phone. So there's yeah. no reason why we cannot capture and continue to capture more and even better footage than uh, what we've already got. Well, this is, this is already topped the um, interest group of not only the military, but the Pentagon too, Eddie, because they, they want to know, they want to see, they want to investigate. And just like you were talking about, Eddie, not only have we reversed engineered a lot of the uh, information that we've received, but it's also said that we are using that engineering and everything as we speak, even in the computers that you have on your desk, on my desk, on the phones that we have on our hands and the cameras that I hold in my hand right here is part of that reverse engineering. Absolutely. Because we didn't, we didn't have this technology. How, how long ago has it been, Eddie? 40 oh, years, 50 years? 90, yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, think about computers as we know them today. I mean, how far they've come along since, say, uh, in, the, in the middle 90s, 95 and up back in 95 i remember our computers were if i had uh 128 megabyte ram in my computer i mean i was hauling but if i had 512 megs of hard drive i had storage for days now i've got pictures that are 512 megabytes yeah yeah well remember, you know what I we're gonna do the first we're, time our apple Remember yeah. the Apple computers when they first come out? Oh, yeah. How cumbersome, the big unit sitting on the desk, and mm -hmm. you had the hard drive. Yeah, the giant, the giant screen, <laughs> which weighed as much as a car. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to uh, play a little song. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. So sit tight. Don't go nowhere. And use this time to share our page out so we can get more people yes. in here and yes. uh, spread the word about Paranormal Analytical. All right, everybody, we'll be back here shortly, so hang on and enjoy the music. Been walking in the graveyard Can't explain exactly why Just like the way it looks with a full moon in the sky
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Eddie Hill with Paranormal Analytical, along with the other host, Rick Warren. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out and hanging with us tonight on this wonderful and beautiful Saturday night as we near the end of September and we're getting into the bewitching days of October. Thank yes. you so very much, everybody, for being with us. Topic of the night's show and conversation are UFOs, and especially more so UFOs and the sightings which are increasing in the several living state of Texas. So, Rick Warren, where did we leave off? We were left off with the, uh, basically kind of like we were talking about the classifications of UFOs and interaction of people. And uh, I have for an example here, Eddie. Now we were talking about the integrity, not only of police officers and Air Force, Navy, Everybody that, that has seen one has finally come forward and said, this is what I saw. And we are talking the integrity of these men and women of our military. Here's an example of 2004 on the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was training about 100 miles southwest of San Diego, California. Um, they had an advanced new radar on a nearby ship. The USS Princeton had dedicated what had dedicated what operators called multiple Anonymous aerial vehicles on the horizon. They were descending from 80,000 feet in less than a second. Wow. They, they scrambled. And this is from the USS Nimitz, okay? Okay. The most, the, the, the most superior aircraft carrier and the aircrafts in the world are on this carrier. They scrambled. Two of their top flight jets and the pilots there had years and years of experience with this uh, with these jets um, and they went up and they went to look for these things. And they said what, what they saw below was an area of about 737, um, whatever it was that they were looking at. But anyway, it was churning in the sea and, and around that was calm blue water and back Cedar said, Hey Skipper, do you, and he said about the time he got that out, he said, dude, do you see that thing down there? And there was the little white Tic Tac flying there. And as they went down to investigate, he took the plane down in a spiral, spiraling convection, so to speak. And as he was doing that, the Tic Tac literally mimicked his moves coming up to meet him. And this has been declassified now, and they can literally talk about what happened as far as in those jets and with those fighter pilots. And But yet, when they got back on board, what was strange, Eddie, was when they got back on board, as they were coming back in the port, they were met by another group of people that flew on into the USS Nimitz, on the USS Nimitz, and the men in black got out, basically, and took every bit of the information that they had taken. They took the tapes, they took the radar uh, programs, they took everything and they told these guys that you are never to speak of this again. And it's just now coming out of what they saw and what they went through. That is crazy. But you got to understand as well. I mean, um, you're, you're talking U.S. military. And U.S. military, you know, to me, they're going to have a lot of clout whenever they say that they saw something. The U.S. military mm -hmm. are the ones that actually see these things. They're making these reports. They came out with a way for the military personnel to report these the strange phenomena uh, so that they're not ridiculed. Because remember, at one time, there was a strict silence order that was put out 
on any type of yes, UFOs. Military was mm-hmm. unable to bring forward any type of information uh, from any of these UAPs. And because of that, they were, uh, they were afraid to come forward. Now they are moving forward at a faster pace, bringing the information out to the public and letting it leak because it's a little bit more, I guess the military's loosened up a little bit as far as this topic goes. Why is that? I don't know. Because for so long, the military's been so tight-lipped on UFOs, UAPs, however you want to call it, whatever uh, type of uh, letters you want to throw together to to, uh, talk about these things. They were very closed-minded now they're opening up more and there's got to be a reason behind it rick i'm not sure what it is but there's a reason behind it well one conspiracy theory and i don't really know if it would be such as such but um you have china you have russia you have other countries that are looking into this area and into this investigation just as much as we are can you imagine the military type of um, what they could do if actually they were to be able to weaponize any of these aircrafts that are doing what they're doing? Because right now, Eddie, I tell you what, some of those moves that those UFOs are making would just basically solidify and vaporize any human being in those aircraft. Yeah, you turn it it's, jello. Yeah. Yeah, but if they could sit there, if we, the USA, if China, Russia, any of these military giants were to actually get a hold of that information and, like you say, reverse engineer that to militarize it, we'd be in deep caca. Absolutely. And now we're going to move on to another sighting which took place well before it could be anything other than a UAP. Uh And this is in 1897 in Aurora, Texas. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with this case, but on April 17th, 1897, six years before the first plane was flown by the Wright brothers, an airship visited Aurora, Texas. After having been spotted periodically in the Midwest, the illuminated cigar-shaped craft, now remember, this is a cigar-shaped craft now, this isn't a saucer, was next seen in North Texas, first in Denton and then in Weatherford, uh, Corsicana, and Stephenville. The editor of the Stephenville newspaper claimed that the airship hovered so close to the town that he was able to yell out a request for an interview, which the extraterrestrial pilot denied. Well, I'd have loved to have seen how that went over. Um, Moving on to Aurora, the airship reportedly circled the town square, crashed into a windmill, and exploded, leaving behind the pilot's charred body in a note written in uh, indecipherable hieroglyphics, according to an article published in the Dallas Morning News two days later. The pilot was thought to be a native of planet Mars. Now, of course, you know, they're kind of like, you know, little green men, Martians, that kind of a thing. So uh, back then, Mm -hmm. that was pretty much all you were going to get was a little green man from Mars. Um, rumors about the airship persisted, and in 1973, a team of UFO buffs and television crews descended on Aurora to see if they could substantiate the story. Some Aurora elders claimed to remember the close encounter, while most of the town's 300 residents 
empathetically insisted that it was an old hoax designed to revive Aurora's declining fortunes. Uh, the incident may always remain a mystery. However, since a district court blocked an effort to exhume an Aurora grave that some believe held the pilot's body, according to the local legend, the grave was marked only by a headstone bearing mm -hmm. a cryptic insignia, several small circles down are drawn inside the Greek letter Delta. The stone was sent has since disappeared. And there are there are photos of this stone still in place before it was taken or stolen, and uh, yeah, so that was that was back in that you know a long time ago. And so I mean, you got to think of you know there there was actually an occupant in this thing, and for a judge to block the uh, you know being able to exhume uh, the body of this uh, possible extraterrestrial uh, person, I mean you have to think that maybe this there is some validity to it. Now, in 1948, in Laredo, Texas, gossip circulated throughout the 50s that several officers from the Air Force base near Laredo were instructed on July 7, 1948, to cordon off a remote strip of land where an extraterrestrial aircraft had crashed. Rumored to be a large disc, here we go with the flying saucer shape again, it had supposedly flown over Albuquerque at around 2,000 miles per hour before crashing into the West Texas desert, where it was then recovered by government agents. Uh, one variation of the story claimed that the badly burnt inhabitant of the craft was significantly shorter in height than the average human and had unusually long arms. In 1978, a man claiming to be a farmer, or I'm sorry, a farmer, a former Air Force photographer and reporter, uh, he reported photos of uh, of a severely burned body inside some wreckage. Pictures that he claimed he was instructed to take of the wreckage of the wrecked experimental aircraft outside of Laredo during the summer of 1948. The signed alien in the photo quickly doubled or quickly dubbed Tomato Man by the press because of his extremely large head. It's probably a human pilot who was killed when a plane crashed and burned. So that's their story and they're sticking to it. The pilot's <laughs> noticeable lack of hair and a large head are thought to be the results of the fire. Uh, government papers now indicate that the Air Force was experimenting at that time with the V-2 rockets nicknamed Foo Fighters. And yeah. Remember the Foo Fighters of World War II? Yes, I do. Th those were mm -hmm. not rockets. Um. Hence, the crash experimental aircraft that the photographers was instructed to document. One unresolved question is whether the pilot was actually a man or a monkey. The latter would explain the rumor that the pilot was short in stature and extremely and had extremely long arms. What do you make wow. of that? And what date was this, Eddie? 18 what? No, no. This was in 1948 in Laredo, Texas. Okay. Well... This is, this is quite the incidence because I tell you what, it's been in the news, it's been on the air, it's been everywhere as far as these UFOs because on 60 Minutes, August 29th, 2021, it said UFOs are regularly spotted in restricted U.S. airspace. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
there's got to be some type of validity to these stories and to these things that are going on. If 60 Minutes, a regular TV show and documentary uh, show, sits there and says that these things, these UFOs, if you want to call them that, or whatever they might be, are being spotted in U.S. restricted airspace. Yeah. Now, Randy J. Cole says, in my humble opinion, the Tic Tac and the underwater vehicle, which were uh, vehicles, were our own Navy from the future. And that's a possibility, Randy, because if you remember the Rendlesham Forest incident where mm. uh, you had that one aircraft there in Rendlesham Forest where those two uh, security police from the Air Force went up there, they found that the writing or the numbers which that one security policeman kept uh, repeating in his head, all the zeros and ones, was uh, that, uh, oh, what the heck is the name of that code, Rick? Um, binary. Binary code, there you go. Binary code, which when translated, basically said it was uh, a future, futuristic or futuristic type, uh, uh, interplanetary type vehicle, which... I guess was looking into the past. So, I mean, it's, it's a good, I, I like that opinion thinking that this stuff might be our own Navy from the future, because uh, I mean, there's that possibility. And, uh, Darren Wedlock says, funny. You should say that Randy, I was just reading an account of a mysterious airship seen in Canada in 1913 said it had brilliant lights and traveling at great speed to us. That could be a jet. I wonder if it's a time thing too. So yeah, it's a very big possibility if these things could be uh, some sort of time travelers and it could just be us maybe coming back to try and warn us that we're, you know, screwing up or, you know, we're something's fixing to happen that that isn't good. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities, Rick. It is. It is. A, it's intriguing to me as I'll get up because tonight when I was coming back in, it's a full moon, and I mean, that puppy is shining bright, okay? Um, a lot of people say that activity during the full moon is on the rise when that happens and everything else like that. If that's true, then tonight I think I'm going to take a camera outside and do some photographing and see exactly what the, I don't know if you'd call it the ambient feeling is outside, or if I can even catch anything in the, in the air, so to speak, because... This has got everybody looking up now, Eddie, because it used to, you'd mention UFO and people would go, <laughs> oh yeah, right. You know, mm -hmm. well, now, if you do take your camera out there, you can do 10 or 15 second exposures. All right. Okay, maybe maybe okay. a little bit longer. And what we normally do when we're uh, doing a sky watch is we'll do an exposure, sometimes up to 30 seconds, sometimes even more. But what you're going to do is you're going to catch the streak of the stars like they're moving. Well, it's not that the stars are moving, of course, the earth is spinning. So it's going to, you're going to see that star move ever so slightly in the photograph. So you're going to have a slight streak of where that star is. What you're going to be looking are for lights or specks of light or things in the photo that have a movement that's not the same amount as all the other stars. Something that may be traveling faster, something that may be traveling slower. And these are going to be the objects of interest when you take these kind of photographs using a time exposure. So mm -hmm. 
if you have a photo that say it's a 20 second exposure and you've got all the stars with all the streaks going across when you're looking at the photograph and then you got one that's got a long streak okay that's something okay because it's different than all the rest so that's what you're going to be looking for when you do those now in 1951 in lubbock texas before buddy holly put lubbock on the map the Lubbock Lights gave this panhandle town national fame. On an August night in 1951, several college professors sitting outside on a porch saw a formation of blue lights fly quickly overhead. They waited to see if the lights would return, and later that evening, they observed the lights again. That same night, a Lubbock woman also spotted the blue lights as she was talking, uh, or sorry, taking her family off or taking her family's laundry off the clothesline the light she later told air force investigators uh, uh framed the tail end of an enormous uh wing light craft a few days earlier an employee of the atomic energy commission saw the same type of aircraft in albuquerque a wing-shaped object with blue lights at its base by the end of august there was another sighting of the object in matador texas about 70 miles north of lubbock as well as Photographs of blue lights taken by Texas Tech freshman Carl Hart Jr. Before the light disappeared two weeks later, dozens of people in North Texas reported seeing blue lights darting from one end of the horizon to the other. An investigation into the phenomena uh, for Project Blue Book, a 1950 and 1960s Air Force study into the possible existence of UFOs, came up with two explanations for the sighting. One theory was that the lights were plovers, West Texas birds with shiny white breasts that could have reflected the city's glow as they flew overhead. Another theory was that the lights were actually the result of Lubbock's newly installed mercury vapor street lamps that gave off a bluish haze. However, neither of these explanations accounts for the lights' immense speed or their sudden disappearance. Um, the Air Force ultimately categorized the Lubbock light sighting under the Inclusive handling, unidentified, making it one of the most famous and widely witnessed UFO residents or UFO incidents in history. And bringing the the subject of these birds up, they said that because they just installed the newly those new vapor light street lights, that as these birds flew overhead, those new vapor street lights were so bright they were actually reflecting off the breasts of these birds, creating the image of some sort of craft in the air. But as we all know, you know, these birds aren't traveling hundreds of miles an hour. So, uh, yeah, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, that kind of leads that off the way. And in 1957, that's one, nine, five, seven Loveland, Texas, not far when the, <laughs> not far where the Lubbock lights were seen six years earlier, residents of Loveland, Texas reported 10 UFOs reported, uh, related incidents during the course of several hours on November 2nd, 1957 the first close encounter took place around 11 o'clock in the evening when farm workers pedro sacelo and uh, joe sales saw a giant brilliantly lit object fly over their truck as it passed overhead the truck's headlights and engine went dead uh i mean so i mean you've got this one here in, in loveland you've also got 1975 seguin texas World's largest UFO organization, the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, was originally founded in Illinois in 1969 after Air Force abruptly ended Project Blue Book 
its study of possible existence of UFOs continuing where Project Blue Book left off. MUFON went about researching, investigating compelling reports of UFO sightings in an attempt to resolve the question of whether or not UFOs exist. Um, in 1975, MUFON relocated to Seguin, Texas, where it resumed documenting UFO sightings, alien abductions, crop circles, and animal mutilations throughout the world by using it, the organization's vast network of investigators. And then, of course, in 1980, you've got the Dayton, Texas incident, um, which it's this is just a continuation of of uh, sightings in Texas. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. And that's intriguing, Eddie, because we haven't even touched. I mean, this is like an iceberg, okay? What you and I discussed tonight, what you and I have seen um, in our data, in our investigation, and things like that, this is just the tip of the iceberg of information that is out there already. And sometimes these are, uh, we need to talk to people that have had experiences, have had um interaction it is said that some of the um extraterrestrials even now walk among us we haven't even discussed that it is said that some of them visit our dreams and actually that they are that they leave implants in our arms and in our legs and things like that we haven't discussed that so there is a variable of things and a, and a, you know, just a myriad of, of items that we have yet to discuss about UFOs that are happening every day and night in USA America, Eddie. Absolutely. And I hate to say it, Rick, but the hour has flown by. No way. Yes, sir. It has what? flown by. Can you believe it? <laughs> so I guess we'll go ahead and wow. start doing some uh, closing statements. And uh, of course, we'll start off with you, buddy. Okay, I want I want the people that's listening and actually will be hearing this broadcast. I want you to look up into the skies. I want you to sit there and document anything you can. I want you to write us about it. I want you to phone us about it. I want you to get a hold of us. Let us know what is going on with you and your belief system and everything that has to do with UFOs. Because the more people we get involved in this, the more we learn about each other and the world around us. And that's about it, Eddie. That is very, very true. So with that in mind, Rick, thank you so much for being here, buddy. I, I, I am so happy to, to have you on the show. I mean, your knowledge and expertise and all these uh, issues that we talk about is always appreciated. Thank you. Um, and I want to thank everybody else for being on the show and for being here with us tonight and hanging out with us and listening to us blab and talk about this <laughs> UAPs, these aerial phenomena, which we're still learning about. You know, thank you so much for all that. But please keep your eyes to the sky. And anybody who's listening to this, like Rick said, if you've had an experience, if you've seen something, if you've got a photograph, if you've got video, send it to us here at Paranormal Analytical. Go to the paranormal yes. site, our paranormal analytical site, and send it to us. Shoot us a message. Let us know, and if you know, tell us you want to be on the show. I mean, we'd love to have you on here and talk about your experience. We're also going to be having some other guests show up over here before long. Rick, uh, didn't have a chance to tell you about that, but we're going to be talking even more UFOs later. I'm not sure when. They're still trying to work out some dates on when they're going to be able to get here, but these are going to be uh, people in the know 
with UFOs and we're looking forward and we're very lucky to have them on here. And uh, so y'all take care. Remember, eyes to the sky. Keep looking because the sightings are becoming very, 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 very real and they're becoming numerous. Okay. And uh, we want to make sure we don't miss anything. So until next week, everybody, we love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Please share the show. Please share the podcast. And once again, good night from Paranormal Analytical, Rick Warren and myself. God bless. Stay safe. We'll see you guys. Good night, Eddie. Thank you.